Hello everyone, welcome back to another episode of Attention to Detail, our final episode of 2020, and by the time it's released, I think our first episode of the new year, 2021. I probably speak for everyone in saying that can't wait for 2020 to be over, and fingers crossed that 2021 is going to be a better year, knock on wood, but I have no idea how it couldn't be a better year. So to join me in kind of reflecting on 2020, thinking about some of the music that might uh, kind of reflect our ex- our communal experience in 2020 and looking forward to the new year is my fabulous co-host, Hannah Reffitt. Hannah, welcome back. How are you doing? How was the holiday? Hey, I'm well. How are you? My holiday was great. Same for me. I had a great time. I uh, very relaxing. Did you do anything particularly exciting? I know most most people, including myself, did not. I watched a whole season of Love Island in about a week and a half, and that's about forty episodes. So I didn't do much. That sound well. It sounds like you did something productive. I, people have told <laughs> me that uh, I would really like that show, and so maybe maybe I need to join you in that. That sounds. You like watch a- the you watch the Bachelor, don't you? Yes, I believe that you do. We don't want to admit that on the air, but yeah, that is that yeah. is unfortunately true. I love it to the point where I will watch practically all day and maybe not verbally speak to many people during the day and maybe at the end of a long binge talk in an American accent to other people with American accents and it just is so strange and bizarre after watching hours upon hours of British people yelling at each other so it's just it's fun i enjoy it it. i like it well no better way to spend the holiday than than binging some tv especially when things are still shut down but to that end uh the idea of the episode today is to kind of do a musical review of sorts of 2020 talk through our experience of 2020 and specifically how it is reflected in some pieces of music and then, more importantly, probably look forward to 2021. I'm hoping this will be a glass-half-full podcast and, you know, we can put aside the challenges that we all faced in 2020 and look to a more optimistic and exciting year next year. And so we've got some musical selections picked for some aspirations that we have for next year. So, Hannah, to start off, before we start talking about 2021. I'm just curious, seems pretty obvious, but what what are your general takeaways or some some important moments for you in in 2020 and we'll see if we can pair them to some pieces of music. Um I think to date 2020 has been the most tumultuous and stressful year I have experienced as is for many 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 people. Um but a lot of good things happened and a lot of things I learned a lot about myself this year. And I think um, it was a great year to explore new things and explore new opportunities for yourself. So, yes, the year I will 100% say sucked. But I'm also, in a way, sort of glad it happened. Um, a lot of terrible things happened, a part of it. But you know what? Like... It is what it is, and um, maybe next year will be even better. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I love that attitude. I think I actually have come around to a similar feeling. There was a lot of time in the middle of the year where I was very worn down, and it was kind of like, why is this happening to all of us? Um, mm. And now I think I've, I think a lot of people, maybe, I don't want to speak for everybody, but it seems to me that a lot of people have kind of come around to this idea that. It's, it's been an opportunity in a way. You can learn some things about yourself and find some new activities. And so that's good. Um, one thing that we both experienced at the beginning of the year before everything went completely haywire was what was happening at the, at, in the first few months of, of 2020 was a, in the classical music world was a big celebration of Beethoven's birth year. We actually just passed his actual birthday, but we were celebrating the entire year. And so what got cut short were a lot of Beethoven celebrations. And I'm curious, Hannah, did you feel like in the short time that we had to do this Beethoven festival at the ISO? And do you feel like you learned anything new about Beethoven or you have a, you you like his music more or less than you did before? Was this a fun experience for you? 
Yeah, it was definitely a fun experience. It feels like a million years ago, to be honest. Um, Yes, of course, learned a lot about Beethoven and just um, how important classical music is to um, Germany and how how much of an impact he played on um, classical music that we know of today. I mean, just mention... Beethoven's name and everyone's like or mention a composer's name and people will say Beethoven so it was really fun to like dive into his work even though we only did so for about a month um but I finally saw a number of his symphonies performed for the first time um for myself of course but like I'd never seen symphony number five before which is Uh. one of the most famous and just being able to see it perform live was really um, – I'm going to for, remember it forever because it's just so, so iconic and so well-known in the canon that it was just finally to be able to see it live was just fantastic. Yeah, that's awesome. And you were reading the Swafford book too, right? Yeah, I got about 100 pages in. <laughs> okay. Well, hey, I mean that's – listen, that's good. I still haven't finished to be honest, but I also mm. – um, was reading that for a long time. I fell off the Beethoven train a little bit, but what better time than now to to take it back up? So in any case, I, I think you said it really well there. I mean, I'd love to highlight Beethoven on any playlist that we put together, but this is certainly, as we end 2020, there's no better reason than to celebrate his the 250th anniversary of his birth. And so I wanted to include uh, a piece that I find to be one of his all-time best. There's obviously a lot of competition for that spot, but this is one, it's a famous piece, but I think a lot of our listeners might not have heard it many times. Um, It's not quite as played as something like the Fifth Symphony, and that is the Fourth Piano Concerto. It's, It's, I think it's an absolute masterpiece, and so I wanted to include it because I think it also encapsulates so much of what Beethoven was good at. He was a, you know, an incredible piano technician, but also he was an incredible writer of pieces that were just formally perfect. And then at the same time, he also had this incredible ability to write very emotional, very dramatic, highly romantic pieces. And so I think this piece is an excellent fusion of all of that stuff. And so Let's just listen to a little clip of the fourth piano concerto. But for all of these clips, we're going to put them in a playlist uh, in the show notes. And, you know, if you have a little time on your hands in the new year, I uh, this is our playlist that we've put together to kind of reflect on 2020 and look forward to 2021. So you can certainly give the whole thing a listen. But here's a little taste of Beethoven's fourth piano concerto. So Hannah, what are your what are your thoughts on on that piece? I know we didn't actually get to hear it at the ISO, which I'm sad about, but that's part of the reason why I wanted to include it here. Yeah, I mean, for the whole minute that I listened to the clip um, that you sent me, I just couldn't help but think like I cannot wait to get back to just listening to yeah. live performance. Like yeah. as soon, wherever I um, see that this is being performed. Again, when we're back, I'm going to figure out a way to go see it. Um, yeah, I, I, I just love that. W- lovely. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's such a good piece. It's one of those pieces that there, there's something about Beethoven and a few other composers that just the second I start listening, I get really excited or like kind of 
heart warmed and I, I totally feel it with this piece. Um, you've also teased something that is coming up in our 2021 segment, but we'll wait to get to that. Um, but I too am, am really looking forward to, to seeing this in person. So then I think, uh, Hannah, you, you pointed to it, but, but, you know, we had the pandemic and I think there was a lot of feeling of, uh, of loneliness, of isolation, of monotony that accompanied the pandemic, the early months and kind of just being suddenly shut off from, from everything. And so I thought a little bit about, I'm curious, Hannah, did you, um, not necessarily if you have a, a particular piece of music in mind, but did you find yourself listening to more music when when you were shut away or, or less? Or what was your relationship like with, with kind of recorded music uh, or just music that you could access during this pandemic? Yeah, I think it definitely changed, of course. Um, I found myself looking for music sort of as emotional therapy, as an emotional source of comfort, either even in in Fury. I mean, we both lived um, in the same apartment complex. And over the summer, there was a lot of construction on the particular building that I was living in. And I remember being incredibly frustrated by the noise level and I put on um, Orf's Carmina Burana to, and just blared it out of anger, and it was <laughs> and it was like the best medicine. Um, so that, that was great. very helpful. Yeah, and then um, then my like Spotify top tracks are typically every year Florence and the Machine, as I have mentioned, time and time again on this podcast is a regular for me, and. Um, one of her albums was a huge source of comfort for myself during the during the spring, during a hard time. Um, so I think a lot of the music that I turned to was very um, emotionally sourced. I just needed something to help with, uh, you know, anger or sadness or despair. Yeah, no, I think that's great. I mean, listen, construction is the most annoying thing. I remember when that was happening, I felt so badly because for some reason my building was not under construction, but, but, uh, I remember I, I, I had an entire year where there was construction right outside my window and it drove me crazy. And I should have come to you earlier with this and you could have given me this Carmina Burana technique, which I definitely am going to use in the future if I ever encounter construction, but highly recommend. <laughs> yeah. A little pro tip for all of our listeners, but I think you said it well there. And, and I picked a piece to kind of try to encapsulate some of this, because I think to a certain extent, what some people do with music is they try to lean into emotions or feelings that they are having or have had. And often I think, you know, if you talk to music therapists or something like that, music can have both a positive and not necessarily a negative. It can, but it can really heighten emotions. And so if you're feeling painful emotions, it can kind of heighten those, uh, maybe in a therapeutically positive way. But I think a lot of people listen to music in times of, of struggle. Um, and so I picked a piece of music that is encapsulates for me a lot of that stuff. And it's uh, a piece by Benjamin Britten called Symphonia de Requiem. And it is kind of based around Requiem ideas. And this is the Lacrimosa first movement. Um, and it's very imposing, monotonous. There's what's called an ostinato, which means a incessantly repeated figure that comes over and over. But it's also one of my favorite pieces, just very dramatic and a great piece, but I think it encapsulates some of this feeling of, of the pandemic. So here's the first movement, the Lacrimosa movement of Britain's Symphonia de Requiem.
So Hannah, what do you what do you think of that piece? I mean, I'm curious if it if it jives with your feelings of the pandemic or totally not at all. I mean, there's no there's no right answers, and I won't be offended if you feel like this is is not a, a good choice at all. Um, no, it's a fantastic choice for the pandemic. My descriptions of it are dark and ominous and drawn out which is the pandemic for sure, to a theme. For sure. and also sh- shocking shocking to me because the first thing i think of when someone says britain is playful pizzicato do you know that it's like i know it from marvelous mrs Maisel. yeah i know i mean i know sorry i was thinking for a second this is the common confusion with benjamin britain I thought you were talking about the country of Britain, but I now know exactly what you are talking about. This this piece, uh, playful pizzicato. It's yes. a yeah, it's a super good one. And like you said, I mean that sim- that symphony could not be more contrasted from Symphonia de Requiem. That's one of my favorite things about Britain. The composer is that he wrote in such a variety of styles. Every one of his pieces mm-hmm. is a little different. Um, but yeah, I think you you pointed exactly. But this to, was so dark. Yeah, it's so dark, and it's just and like you said, also drawn out. It's a it's a movement where very little happens. There's really one idea that comes over and over and over, and I think he captured this kind of monotony really, really well. So I'm glad you pointed to that. I hadn't even really thought of that, um, but but excellent point. So I think for me and. Not only for me, I mean, we, we talked about this before we came on the air, and I think for everybody, 2020 was also a real year of learning, reflection, um, and kind of inward and outward looking on the issue of social and racial justice, both through the larger lens of society and also in our particular world of, of classical music. Um, I don't know how you feel about this, Hannah, but, uh, you know, there have been a lot of protests in the year 2020, and it's really highlighted some fundamental flaws that probably should have been addressed a long time ago, certainly in this country and, and around the world. Um, and the classical music world has been reckoning with with these phenomena because it's it's very clear that we are very much behind the times I think everybody's behind the times, but we are very much behind the times um, when it comes to racial and social justice, equity, inclusion of different types of a diverse range of of composing styles and viewpoints, not to mention uh, different composers of different races and ethnicities and things like that. Um, And so it's been a year of of real reflection for myself on, on this issue, especially, you know, coming from my position uh, as a white male and being kind of a privileged member of the the classical music elite, if you want to call it that, a, a professional musician. And so I've had to do a lot of, of learning and reflection. Um, I'm curious your thoughts on, on this, this whole topic in, in 2020 and how it's been framed for you, especially in the context of, of classical music. That's definitely not a question that I have the answer to, nor does anyone I could probably say. It's just, it's going to be, we've just got to do better as, as leaders of organizations. I think we need to be thinking of, of every single person in a community and serving every single person in that community. I think I have the strong held belief that art is for everyone. So let's find ways to get that art to everyone. And I'm also still learning about how are the best ways to do that. Um, and, and even I have blind spots. I'm, I'm white and I'm straight. So I have a lot of opportunity to learn, um, as a very privileged person. So I think we just need to invite more people into the conversation and, check our blind spots and be open to, to learning and being wrong and having our, our opinions and our thoughts changed on what best practices are and being flexible going forward because today's needs aren't going to be, you know, next year's needs, um, in this industry. So, and I'm looking forward to just being more 
accessible to everyone and being more welcome to everyone, especially in this art form. Well, in that vein, I think you said it really well there. And I wanted to include two clips um, uh, on this topic because I think it's it's so important. And we're going to do four for 2020 and four for 2021. But the last two for 2020, I want to kind of address this in some way. And for me, part of what this means is playing more music and having people listen to more music from composers whose voices just traditionally have not been heard for whatever reason, but but specifically for reasons of lack of inclusion, equity, diversity in, in our field. So with that in mind, I wanted to, because there are two, I think, well, there are many glaring deficiencies that we we have, that have come on display in, in the classical music world in the last few years. But I think the representation of both Black and female composers in our canon is staggeringly small, and it's it's a, a real problem. And so I wanted to highlight both a, a Black composer and a female composer on this podcast so that all of our listeners, but for, for you and me too, Hannah, we just listen to some of this music and give it the same time of day that we do to a Beethoven or a Britain or any other composer that we'd consider foundational to the canon. So with that, I first want to play for you and for our listeners a short clip of a piece by Joseph Ballone, who was a classical composer. He was from the French colony of Guadeloupe. Um, and a lot of people think of him as the first composer of African descent in the kind of classical canon. He was a fantastic composer. He was also somehow he happened to be like a champion fencer. Um, so he was a very multi-talented person and he was often referred to as, uh, in French, Le Mozart Noir or the black Mozart. Um, and, you know, I think that title is, is kind of somewhat indicative of, of both his genius, but also of some of the shortcomings that, that existed then and exist now in the classical world because, um, you know, in, inherent in that title of, of the black Mozart is, is some sort of secondary quality to a composer like Mozart. And of course, Mozart was a genius, but he should really just be called Joseph Ballone, like, like we call uh, every other composer in the classical canon. And so I think that's a title that's representative of, of a shortcoming of certainly the time, but that's persisted until now. And so with that in mind, uh, let's listen to just Joseph Ballone, his first symphony. I think you will hear echoes of Mozart and of Haydn because he was very much a classical composer, but it's great music. So here's a little bit of the first movement of Joseph Ballone's symphony number one. So Hannah, what did you uh, what did you think of that clip? I thought it was lovely. It was very springy and lively. And I know that I've already said this, but I can't wait to get back to live performance. I would really love to experience that outdoors because it's got this very um, crisp and airiness to it. Well, you've you've uh, mentioned something. This is great because I can give a shameless <laughs> plug because I will be conducting a concert <gasps> outdoors. In indie, where we are playing this piece, so by all means, oh, every, that's amazing! You know, all of our indie listeners should come. Um, it's going to be in June at White River State Park, and we will be playing this exact piece. So I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, this Ooh. is a composer I've discovered and uh, love his music. So that is uh, Symphony Number no. One, Joseph Ballone. And then I also wanted to 
highlight another composer whose music I've not recently come in contact with, but I've recently kind of rediscovered. I've been listening to her music, and it's just phenomenal. Missy Mazzoli is her name, and she um, she is a, a really groundbreaking composer. I was reading that she she had an opera recently performed at the Met, and she is one of the first women to ever have an opera performed at the Met. More on that a little bit later as well. But her music is just super interesting. I've come to love a lot of her pieces. And Hannah, I just want to play this one for you and for our listeners, a little clip, but I'm curious just to get your general take. It's going to be very different from the music we've listened to so far, but but it's stuff that I really like. So here is this piece called Vespers for Violin by Missy Mazzoli. She has a lot of, of great pieces, and you can look up her work on, on Spotify and YouTube and all the places that we we get music nowadays. But here is her Vespers for Violin, a piece that I've been listening to a lot and, and really enjoy. What do you think about about that one? That was so cool. I really, it was so um, jovial and just, I really enjoyed it. You know, it reminded me of um, when I was in sixth grade, I was in Mr. Sutherland's music class and my whole entire class would um, play xylophones together and he would conduct us in these like five part um, harmonies and melodies. And it just reminded me of, of that really fun experience. That's awesome. Shout out to Mr. Sutherland and, and to all (laughs) of the music teachers who have uh, had such a great impact on our life and give us these memories, like, like playing the xylophone. I have similar, uh, I loved playing the xylophone. My favorite was actually, did you guys have like the bass bar, which was the one, um, it was this thing where you just, it had one huge xylophone like piece of wood and it was like the lowest note. And <laughs> that was my favorite instrument. Um, <laughs> I, unfortunately, it, you know, it, I never got to play the bass bar because I, I happened to be one of the more advanced students in music in the class. And that only required hitting one note all the time, but I always wanted to play the bass bar. And so, yeah, that was a, a big point of contention for my second and third grade self, the bass bar. But anyways, uh, so that's our, our 2020 review. And um, I think, I don't know how you feel, Hannah, but I'm ready to move on to 2021, both on this podcast and also in life. I'm so done with this year. So yeah, let's move on. Yeah, it's it's been a rough year and hopefully 2021 will be better. And so with that in mind, I asked you, Hannah, to come up with two things that you're looking forward to in 2021, not so much resolutions. Do you do resolutions? You know, I did resolutions last year or like this year, 2020, and <laughs> I laugh when I think back on them. So I won't be doing them for 2021. <laughs> yeah. I can't even remember if I made resolutions this year. So I mean, that's the level that we're at, you know. Actually, a couple like did happen, just not in the ways that I had planned, which is quite funny. Okay. Um, so maybe I should, I don't know. We'll see. I think in now that I'm thinking back, I think I did make resolutions and I have to imagine that I didn't fulfill any of them. But in any case, these are not so much resolutions as just things that you are looking forward to. And so you've come up with two. And what's the what's the first one that you're looking forward to in 2021? The first one I immediately thought of was uh, a historic moment that's going to happen in January Um which will be Kamala Harris becoming the first female vice president, which is just incredibly exciting. And I think during this very busy time um, has been sort of overlooked. Um, I'm just incredibly excited to finally see a woman hold that type of office. Um, I just, 
when it happened when um, Biden was announced president, I just remember watching her speech and just feeling that, you know, anything is possible. Um, and I'm just incredibly excited to see it. Yeah, I think that's I think you chose an excellent one. And so kind of in keeping with I think I mentioned it earlier, but but Missy Mazzoli, one of the composers we just listened to, um, had an opera written. She wrote an opera that was premiered at the Met recently. But I thought, you know, to highlight this choice that you've made of, of Kamala Harris being the first female vice president, I've included here a clip from an opera by a composer named Sariaho. Now, Sariaho is one of my all-time favorite composers, bar none of any era. Um, her music, Fair Warning, is a little difficult, but I also find it to be fascinating. And actually, of all of the kind of somewhat dissonant modern music out there, some of the most accessible. And she was not the first female composer whose music was performed at the Met because there was some woman in 1903 who had an opera performed a couple of times. But for nearly a hundred years, there was no female composer's music performed at the Met. And Sariajo's L'Amour de Luan was performed there for the first time, I think in 2016. Uh, unfortunately, 16 years after she wrote it, and it's an absolute masterpiece. So n no criticism of the Met, you know, per se com compared to any other opera house, but it just took us a long time in the U.S. to to bring an incredible work like this to the stage. But it made it, and she was a groundbreaker in that way, and so I wanted to include a little piece of her music. It might not be really the uplifting spirit that we're looking for for Kamala Harris's uh, inauguration as the first vice president, but it's awesome music and another groundbreaking woman uh, in the world of, of classical music. So here is a short portion of L'Amour de Luan by Sariaho. So I know it's it, it might be a little odd music or it might feel a little disorienting, but I actually think just she's a genius. And it's also worth listening to the rest of this clip because her vocal writing, I find to be incredible. But Hannah, what did you what do you think? It was very atmospheric and almost like maybe I'm just thinking too much of <laughs> Kamala Harris's acceptance speech that um, though she may be the first, she won't be the last. It's almost in a sense where there's more to come this clip man i think that's you always come up with the best words and atmospheric is is an excellent uh word choice there but also <laughs> that's a great little connection there that i wouldn't have even thought of but yeah there's there's a element of expectation in her music as well <laughs> that that you're that's that's providing too much uh credit to my selection of this piece here but Nonetheless, I like the uh, I like the description of of atmospheric and expectational, and I encourage people definitely to go and listen to this particular one with with our attention to detail, you know, finely tuned ears that we've trained here because it's it's just I find her music to be genius, um, and long overdue that we we listen to some more of it. So now I I chose one for myself, um, something I'm looking forward to, and that is. Honestly, we've also mentioned it on this podcast already, but it's getting back to live performance. It's what I love doing. I think, Hannah, you've mentioned already that it's something that I think audience members love listening to, and it's just such a great experience for everyone involved. And so I'm super looking forward to getting back to performing. And so in that vein, I wanted to choose a piece that kind of can only exist in the 
world of live performance. And so this is a piece called uh, listeners, devoted listeners to this podcast will know that I'm not a good French speaker. And so I'm going to butcher the name, but Les Moutons de Panurge or something like that. Um, it's by the composer Frederick Zhevsky. It's kind of a relatively contemporary composer. And this is a piece, it's very cool, it, the stage directions, the way it works, I've played it before, so I know how challenging it is, but it goes very quickly, and there's a sequence of notes that you're supposed to play, and you're, what you're instructed to do is play the first note, then play the first and second note, then play the first, second, third, go back, play the first, second, third, fourth. Every time you add one note of this sequence, and then you go back to the beginning and play it again. And as you start getting out further and further, you're trying to play and count along at the same time. And so inevitably, you know, you get out to 25, 27 notes. Inevitably, someone makes a mistake or gets lost or whatever it may be. And you're all playing this in unison. It's like eight players that are all trying to do this at the same time. And so his instructions are that you're supposed to try as hard as you can to play this correctly and stay with the right number of notes and stay with the ensemble. But if you make a mistake, if you get off, you're supposed to commit to it 100% and keep playing no matter what happens. So what happens in this piece usually, and part of what's cool about it in live performance is you never know. Someone could make a mistake in the third sequence and right from the beginning it's off and then it might be chaos. But usually what happens is the group is able to stay with each other for a while and you get this nice, cool, kind of unison passage for a while. And then someone makes a mistake. And right when someone makes a mistake, you have this kind of clashing of sounds. You're no longer in unison. And then it becomes very hard to keep your place. And then people start getting off and it's cacophony for a while. Um, and then there's instructions also at the end to kind of bring it back together and you all end at, at some point. Um but I want to play you two clips from this piece, Hannah. First is just from the beginning, but then it's a long piece. We'll skip to the middle where people have gotten off and it's cacophony. And I'm just curious for, for Hannah and for our listeners, their thoughts of, of this piece, the, the instructions, how cool it is to, to kind of see this in live performance. So here is Mouton de Panurge by Zhevsky. <laughs> So Hannah, what are your thoughts on on that piece and just the what I described of the existence of this piece? <laughs> I'm trying to place where I know it, and it might just be you telling me about this piece before. Um, it's possible. The concept. I may have yeah. mentioned it on this podcast before. Yeah, the concept, not the piece before, because I don't think I I don't recognize hearing that before, and it's so fun to hear and to hear the two clips and the contrast between the two and just um the the change that you you hear and you you feel it's almost a very um not visceral but you just you can feel the the change between the two clips that you you play yeah did you ever did you ever play the the sims games or like sim city growing up yes shame shamelessly yeah doesn't play. it doesn't it sound a little bit like <laughs> the, the sims soundtrack you know maybe i don't quite remember the sounds but i remember the language that they spoke on that game do you do you remember that yeah, a little bit. I didn't play The Sims that much. I played Sim City a lot. Oh. Um, but but yeah, for some reason, this just sounds exactly like The Sims mm. soundtrack to me. I'm going to have to go back and play the game again and see. 
But in any case, I think it's a cool piece and it's also just a cool illustration of the things that you can do in live performance that, of course, this is a, this is a recording, but the cool thing about this piece is that no one, including the performers, knows what's going to happen until it starts and until it ends. So it's an exciting one to play. I have a little bit of PTSD from, from trying to play this because it's so, it's so nerve-wracking. <laughs> you don't want to be the first person to mess up, um, especially not on like the fifth note of the piece. So... But in any case, that is uh, Shevsky's Mouton de Panurge. And Hannah, I asked you to come up with one more thing that you're excited for in 2020. And what was that that you came up with? Well, it's more like exciteful hoping. I hope that this is maybe, I don't, after I sent you what this was, I was like, maybe I'm being far too hopeful. But anyways, I'm hoping that we can travel again next year and if all things go well, I am dying to get out of the country and I would love to go put my <laughs> terrible German skills to use in Germany. Well, I think that's a great uh, destination to, to aspire to. Have you ever been? No, I haven't. Yeah, it's uh, well, before you go, uh, I'll have to give you some recommendations because that yes, is one please. of the places, one of my favorite places in the world and somewhere I've actually been a decent number of times. I am supposed to go. We'll see what happens. I'm supposed to go to London in like a month and a half, but apparently they have a new strain of COVID over there. So not sure that that's going to happen, but we will see about the travel. Um, I am totally with you, though, that I want to travel as soon as possible in the in the u.s do you have any place that you want to go yeah i i want to go to germany because i want to go see some mountains so if i can't go see mountains in europe i will settle on america and i've got some friends in colorado that i will go out and see if i don't get the opportunity to leave the country yeah well i i like that that's uh colorado would also be awesome i've been thinking Mm. about going for a while myself so maybe we'll just have to yeah to meet up there but yeah. I've got a clip I think that this will be an excellent clip for you because I wanted to pick a clip that was super German and also kind of evocative of mountains forest all of the landscape that you associate with Germany and you know there are a lot of super famous German composers but one German composer who's most associated with kind of the German folk spirit and the ability to paint paint these kind of truly German pictures in music is Carl Maria von Weber. Um, And that's kind of distinguished from, we often conflate in the classical music world, Austria and Germany, specifically Vienna, because they're, they're German speaking, but Weber was a true German. And so there's this piece, Der Freischutz, which is his most famous opera. And it has this very famous horn chorus. That's just so evocative of, Germany, uh, you know, the Black Forest, the German Alps, all of these these great things. So here is a little clip from Der Freischutz to get you in the mood for going to Germany hopefully soon. So how was that? Is it uh does it get you in the mood to to take a little trip to Germany? Yes, it's so majestic in the way that mountains are. They just um are so yeah. serene. It's yeah. a, it's a it's a great piece and it's not only this horn chorus is is fantastic but also there's some some fun joyful writing at the end, a lot of drama in the middle, so it's just it's the perfect German overture. Um and so hopefully some of our listeners might join you on a trip to Germany when this is all said and done. 
Um, yes. Yeah, it would, we should just take a little attention to detail <laughs> party airplane over to Germany when this is all when we're all vaccinated and safe and everything. <laughs> yeah, so I'm gonna uh, set up like a, a travel group out of attention to detail. Let's do. Let's do it. We we will probably have to do some sort of GoFundMe, but we, we could yeah. put that together and then just have kind of an all inclusive party airplane trip to Germany. That might be a Ooh. that might be a good like corporate retreat for attention to detail. <laughs> <laughs> Well, in any case, so that's that's uh, that's our picks for 2021, and I just wanted to close for my second one, just just uh, with some music that I think is is really fitting for the time, and I've actually done an entire episode with with I can't remember if I had a guest on that episode. I might have done it solo, but it I, it, I probably did it solo because it's one of my favorite pieces. But we did a breakdown of Nielsen's Fourth Symphony, but it's one of my favorite pieces and he wrote about this symphony it's called the inextinguishable symphony and it's about music and life and um i want to read a little quote from what he wrote about this symphony he starts by saying music is life um and this symphony evokes the most primal sources of life um and he says he writes all this stuff and he says the symphony does not describe all of this stuff that he talks about um, but the basic emotion that lies beneath all this. Music can do just this. It is its most profound quality, its true domain, because by simply being itself, it has performed its task. For it is life, whereas the other arts only represent and paraphrase life. Life is indomitable and inextinguishable. Inextinguishable is the name of the symphony. The struggle, the wrestling, the generation, and the wasting away go on today as yesterday, tomorrow as today, and everything returns. Once more, music is life, and like it, inextinguishable. So that's the kind of motto for this symphony. It's about this inextinguishable life force. And it's something that I've listened to over the course of 2020, but also something that gives me immense hope for 2021. Um, And the ending of this symphony is just epic and often what I listen to at the end of a workout. So it's great on, on multiple counts, but here is the end of Nielsen's fourth symphony, the inextinguishable. I can't think of a better piece to close out 2020 and to ring in the new year of 2021. So Hannah, what do you think? Any uh, hope that you have for 2021 after after listening to some Nielsen? I love that. I think that was my favorite clip of the whole episode. It just, I'm such a sucker for good brass and just, man, that was so good. Yeah, this is, I, I have to recommend this to our listeners. Both listen to the whole symphony because it's it's such a good, concise Listen, we've got an entire breakdown of this symphony here on Attention to Detail, so by all means, go back and check that out. But the end of this symphony is so uplifting, and it's so affirming of that 
that little passage that I read that he writes about this kind of inextinguishable life force. So I'm glad you liked it, Hannah. Like you, I am a sucker for some some brass. So any closing thoughts as we uh, end the year of 2020 here on Attention to Detail? Yeah. Um, thank you for listening. Thank you for having me, Jacob. Um, of course. I am reminded once again how important and valuable uh, Costco music is to me and to this world that we inhabit. And I need to listen to more actively um, because there's so much to listen to and there's so much more to explore and discover and share. And that's just one of my favorite things to do. So maybe that's going to be my resolution for the new years to listen to more classical music and share it a little bit more. So I think you just set an excellent resolution for myself, for yourself and for all of our listeners. Why don't we say that? Why don't we have a pact right now that new year's resolutions often don't get kept and they're largely worthless unless you're a really, really determined individual, but we can all agree right now, let's just resolve to listen to a little more classical music next year. I didn't even plan to push that message when we came on today, but Hannah, now that you've said it, I think it's a great one. We've given our listeners a nice and easy and doable resolution. Just listen to a little more classical music next year and everybody's lives, I imagine, will be a little better, if nothing else, than just for that. So... Hannah, thank you so much for for joining us. I am thankful, as always, to have you on the podcast, and I look forward to recording some more in 2021 when we are all a little happier and more uplifted and the world is a little better and healthier place. I can't wait. (laughs) Yep, me too. So thanks to all of our listeners for joining us this year, and we will be back soon in uh, the new year of 2021. So see you then.